This is the RevOps Recruiters Podcast, Episode 13, The Science of Hiring, with IO psychologist Neil Morelli. Thanks so much for tuning in to the RevOps Recruiters Podcast. This episode is actually the second part of a conversation we had with Neil Morelli. He's a PhD in IO psychology, and we're talking about the science of hiring. So if you haven't heard the first half of the conversation, go back and check out the last episode and then come back here and grab the second half. Let's move on to assessments. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what, do you assess, what role does an assessment play in the hiring process? Let's start there. Yeah, so... I know I'm biased uh, because I work for an assessment software company. Sure. It's called Codility. We assess software engineers. We do it for some of the best, biggest tech companies uh, around. And so I'm a very firm believer in the importance of an assessment in your process to try to quantify, to bring some objectivity and, and gather some, some data, essentially, yeah. for the decisions that you're making. And we're a fan of assessments, too. Yes, we yeah, do that we as a part of our process <laughs> yeah. okay. as well. So Good. we're on the same side of this fence as you are. Right, right, right. So I think, though, assessments can be kind of vilified sometimes, though, because they're this outside instrument or tool or, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to supersede my own judgment. And I'm kind of like taking on the persona of maybe a hiring manager or a leader who's evaluating whether or not to use an assessment. So I would just say to that, that it really comes down to making sure, again, you're starting with that, that strong contract of what this job entails with the job description. You're at, you've identified the things that we think will contribute or predict success mm -hmm. in this job. And then we're coming up with a, a standardized process for evaluating whether or not you have those things. Doesn't that sound like a process <laughs> yeah. that you'd want to include? Absolutely. You would take that kind of due diligence and that, that approach in any other part of your business. If you're building a product, you'd go out and understand here are my requirements, here are the needs of my customer. And then I would, you know, do some iteration. I would collect data and then I would see whether or not I'm, I'm meeting those goals. You know, same thing on the finance or marketing side. Evaluating would, a vendor. Exactly. You do the same thing. You'd, you'd set your criteria and then you'd right. come up with a process for gathering data on those, the basis of those criteria. Sure. Why is hiring different? Right. It, yeah. it just, yeah. I think it has an emotional piece to it. And it also has uh, an agency piece that people feel somewhat defensive over. So right. an assessment can kind of like threaten that, sure. that sense sometimes. So that's uh, just kind of briefly my, my view on where there's a friction sometimes when you bring up the word assessment. Yeah. But one thing I like to remind people a lot of is that every evaluation that you make in the hiring process, whether that's reviewing someone's resume, going out and collecting a reference, uh, getting you know, even a referral, uh, doing an interview, those are all assessments. They're all evaluations. Sure. Yeah. An assessment, as we might think of it traditionally, is just a form. It's a method of collecting data. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bank of items or questions, or it's some sort of work sample that we we judge, you know, the merits of it or the kind of the quality of it. Right. It's just a different form of assessment. So like, the more we can say these are all in the same category, on what basis or rationale are we implementing them? What are they designed to measure and how do they complement the other pieces of our evaluation of our assessment process? Then I think it's a good kind of posture to have. Sure. Yeah, sure. So when we think about assessments, are we focusing only on hard skills? Are we hmm. focusing on soft skills? Is there a perfect mixture of both of those? What should we be looking at? And let's say, let's, let's think through it maybe through the lens of RevOps, right? Which is a somewhat technical role, mm -hmm. right? There's yeah. got to be, so 
when we're thinking about assessment, walk me through hard skill versus soft skill. Yeah, I think assessments can be helpful for both. And although I offer and, and work with a hard skills assessment platform, I think sometimes soft skills are where we need assessment. Mm. We need some kind of object, objective evaluation where right. it's not just your impression, it's not just your impression, yeah. but it's some sort of third source of truth yeah. that we can kind of come around and decide. Now, you have to be a good informed <laughs> buyer around there. There's some snake oil when it comes to the soft right. skill okay. assessments piece, but I think they're equally valuable for both of those skill sets. But I think on the hard skill side, that can really be important as sort of establishing that someone has the table stakes sure. competencies to enter the job and be successful on day one. Like that's where you really want to set right. your assessment. You don't want to say, well, I need to assess someone in this, you know, Salesforce instance that we have this sort of custom thing. And if they don't know it to the nth degree, you know, like that, that's, that's less helpful. But if they, if you can demonstrate that they have those kind of minimum qualifications from a hard skill setting, sure. then the, the, the soft skill assessment can really be a nice layer to add on some, some differentiation between candidates. And again, going back to the competencies that you're looking for, as long as those are well specified, then that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. That makes yeah I think about potent, you know, the, the soft skill versus hard skill, um, you know, we tend to see that hard skill minimum needs to be there, right? There's a, there's a minimum qualification that, that needs to be there. Um, but what we like to say a lot of times is your soft skill is what gets you there. Yeah. Right. So, so it's high potential. If you're a high potential candidate, mm -hmm. you can take a little bit of that hard skill and you can maximize it over time. Yeah. If the company allows you to, if the company gives you the runway to do that, right. Yeah. A lot of times what we see is we, we have, clients that go no we want this from day one we want this experienced candidate but to your point it's it's the soft skills that really define that candidate's success long term mm -hmm. right if you are if you are high potential if you are if you have the right aptitude you can take something and 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 accelerate right yep. from a hard skill perspective yeah usually i mean i'd say every candidate not say absolutely every candidate that we put forward to a company has the hard skills to do the role because right. we've done the assessment where they really stand out right once they meet a hiring manager oftentimes is the soft skills that they yeah. have right and hopefully going back to the previous conversation it's not just i like this person i feel like they're a quote-unquote culture fit but they truly have eq leadership mm -hmm. they've have experience in change management now we're trying to evaluate that from the standpoint of tell us stories help us understand what you've done but a tool like an assessment would be do an even greater job yeah. so if i'm an organization and i'm saying okay i i, I want to begin doing this mm -hmm. i heard you say you know there's there's some out there that are not as good as others how should i evaluate the quality of a soft skill assessment like what should i be looking at or how do i find good ones to use because there's probably if i google assessment is probably a gazillion <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I can give you some general parameters. I mean, obviously the devil can be in the details sometimes, but the general things to look for, especially as uh, someone that doesn't interact with assessments all day, maybe hasn't been trained right. in some of the background, looking for an IO psychologist that's on staff or is a part of the, the executive team, okay. someone that was involved in the formation and the validation of the assessment. That's a, that's a really good flag sure. that at least someone with that kind of perspective and background is bringing that to the tool set, to the mm -hmm. instrument. So I think that's a big piece. Um, do they have a technical manual? And it might not be, hey, I'm going to sit down and read this thing. But if they've actually gathered some of the information that we know that there, there, are, there are standards and guidelines mm -hmm. that an assessment should follow, 
if they've started to document those, at least just having one, if someone says, well, I don't, what do you mean? A technical manual? That's, that's a red flag okay. <laughs> to me. Um, so I think that there are some good curation websites that will list out different vendors and, and different tools that would be, you know, more behavioral kind of psychometric in nature, kind of getting at the soft skill piece. And then obviously there are other vendors that kind of specialize on the hard skill side. So you might have to kind of patchwork or compile a, a portfolio or, or set of tools. But I think those are two good things to yeah. start to look for. No, that's great. I remember yeah. when, you, when we were chatting with this a little bit earlier, you also mentioned just that, does it come from kind of an academic background versus I just decided I'm going to build one and try to monetize it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, the academic tools or the ones that have that, that background, uh, some of them can feel very academic. And if they're just an academic tool, that's sort of been reskinned, then there are pros and cons okay, to that. Sure. Um, but if yes, there's some research or some literature that is, that's been done, you know, there's some original studies on the framework or the constructs that they're measuring in the assessment. That's obviously a good sign that someone's done their homework. Yeah. 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 You mentioned earlier a couple of websites um, in a previous conversation. So if you can provide some of those, we'll put those in the show notes and that way yeah. people can go and check out just some places that have some of those curated locations where they can look at. Yeah. So I'd recommend talent tech labs. Okay. That's a good analysis uh, of the assessment space, yeah. talent acquisition technology, essentially. So they look at the full kind of range of talent acquisition steps from sourcing to selection and assessment to onboarding and all of that. But there, there's some good curation there. Yeah. I think it's a good place to start. That's awesome. Great. Great. Well, um, so really what I hear you saying is do your homework, right? Be a good yeah. consumer of, yes. of assessments. Don't just go out and buy one. Um, Great. Well, let's let's move into the interview uh, bucket. What are what are some of the best practices that you've seen uh, in in the interview process? Now we do this day in and day out, but I'd love to hear a PhDIO's perspective on this. Yeah. So I actually think again, like the job description is a simple, familiar way to get good job analysis, evidence based practices into setting up the spec. I think the interview is also a very good, familiar, simple place to add good assessment practice. Mm -hmm to your hiring process. And by that, I mean, we know structured interviews are one of the best or most predictive hiring tools. Like we have research on that. We have data on that over you know decades pretty much. So the more structured your interview can be, typically the better. Now, sometimes there's a, there's a lot of diminishing returns and you have to be mindful of the context, but essentially building more structure into your interview is, is a best practice, isn't a good place to, is a good place to be. What does structure mean? Well, it, it's more on the, how are we collecting and evaluating the data that we're gathering from candidates and what are the things that we're measuring? Yeah. So it's both on the what and the how. If we can add some more specificity, some more intentionality to either one of those things, then we're adding more structure to it. Yeah. You might've seen a structured interview guide before where it's like, say this, then ask this, then here's the follow-up. Yeah. Here's all the, the scoring rubrics and all of that. And I think some people can have an allergic reaction to that because they feel very like I'm very constrained and all of that. So I do think there can be a continuum of the amount of structure. Now, if you're interviewing, you know, high volume kind of roles and you need that kind of standardization, for proper kind of consistency and objectivity and comparisons, then you might want to be on the more structured side of that spectrum. If it's uh, lower volume and it's as much selling uh, as much about selling and building rapport with a candidate, maybe you can relax some of that structure. But at least going into the interview with a plan—that's yeah. a yeah. 
really good place to start with. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. The, the, the plan side of it. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and rather than just, I know we've had feedback from candidates that have told us, they said, you know, I got into this interview and it felt like the person who I'm speaking with doesn't know who I am, <laughs> right. has never looked at any of my background. Uh, this is more of a, of an inconvenience to them to do this interview. Right. And that doesn't create a great, great feeling for that candidate going into that environment. So what does building that plan look like? Um, you know, and I think around most companies that we work with are going to do multiple interviews. Mm -hmm. Right. And so should that team work together to build this cohesive plan across four different people that are going to be interviewing so that they're looking for the same things, looking for different levels of things. How does that work work out? Yeah, so I don't think you need to make every decision by committee necessarily. Uh, so I think there could be a a primary driver of the process, maybe even someone like a, a talent acquisition specialist or a recruiter to say, "Hey, here's the plan. You've we've all kind of agreed on this is the job mandate. Here are the things that we're looking for." Going back to the job description again, right? Then how are we going to assess or measure those things? Maybe one or two of those things we can do through a more kind of structured paper and pencil or computer-based assessment. And then these other two or three things, we really need that kind of interaction. We want to drill into someone's background, into their experiences. They want those behavioral interview questions to really flesh out whether or not you have those, those competencies. So then it could be saying, okay, we're for, for these first three or four interviews, we're going to measure these two or three things. And we've got the right overlap to where not every conversation is the exact doesn't feel cutter, exactly the same copy of right. like, tell me about yourself. And right. we just kind of do this chronological thing. And then I walk out with a good impression, whether I like Adam or not. Right. Uh, so just again, kind of going in and saying like, it's a little bit of choreography, essentially knowing mm -hmm. who's going to do what yeah. and what are they, what are they looking at? Yeah. yeah. I think the sequence is so critical, right? I, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about um, a situation several years ago where, you know, the, I was working for another recruiting firm and we had a client and we were interview, interviewing for, for a role. I think it was a key account manager. Um, and these candidates, you know, they had gone through several rounds of interviews with us. You know, they were all ready. They were prepped. We had the, you know, the profile down. We had all the insights. And then we passed them over to, to the client and they had a talent acquisition person, HR person, mm -hmm. do a scripted interview and, and, it, it was like we almost basically the candidates were totally turned off by mm. that, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so the sequence, you know, of, of having, having a good sequence that builds yep. up yep. over time to where you as a candidate buyer are being shepherded through this journey and it's keeping you in and it's keeping you excited and mm. it's, it's progressing well. It's not re repetitive yep. to what, you know, your point there of having the same questions every single time. So it, it really is an art. You know, but the sequence, that's what I'm hearing is the sequence is so important. And one other thing to that too, is knowing what the purpose of the interview is before you've started. Right. And I think for a lot of leaders that have done interviews for years and years and umpteen times, they, they say, well, yeah, I know how this process goes and what, what ends up happening. They tend to talk more than listen. Yeah. They end to they tend to um, maybe try to sell a candidate, but then they're also kind of evaluating <laughs> them in the background. Well, knowing whether or not that purpose of the interview is more of a sales motion, are you really trying yeah. to 
get that candidate engaged and, and help them learn about your business and you're trying to keep, you're basically nurturing them in the yeah. process? Or is it to really evaluate them? Hmm. And maybe the evaluation piece should be done by someone in particular, a couple types of roles or whatnot. But then really the, the, the selling piece, maybe your CEO shouldn't be evaluating your candidates. Maybe right. they should just be selling the candidate yeah. Yeah. on the, why should you work with us? Where are we going as a business? Like, let's get you, get you leaning in. Yeah. If they walk out and say, well, I don't like David, you know, like that, what were they about? What are the criteria that yeah. they're evaluating on? I know that's not always an easy conversation, yeah. but at least that intentionality can really help. It's really good. I mean, I think of companies that we've watched that have done that really well, the, in the senior leader who was doing the hiring, whether it was a CEO or an SVP or whatever, they were, the ones that kind of came in as the closer, yeah. not the one trying to determine whether that person should or should not be yep. there, right? They're trying to, at that point, this person, this candidate's gone through three, four, five interviews. They've passed through all those gates. That senior leader is now getting them pumped up and excited about this opportunity and kind of closing the deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that works really well. What about, you, you talked earlier about competencies and I loved how, you know, we had a conversation where we talked about, having an idea of what you need for this role. And we use the two examples of adaptability versus dependability. And, mm. and, and, and so putting a number of questions around determining if this person had the competencies for the type of role that you need at that moment. Mm. And those two, those two things are very different adaptability versus dependability. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of walk me through how just the, the, the competencies and how you might evaluate and how you, not specifically how to create questions, but the idea of building a set of questions to try to determine, is this the type of candidate that we're looking for? Mm. So I think this is where a, a definition for the label is mm. really, really critical. Mm. And maybe this is somewhere where ChatGPT can help a tool like uh, yeah. that, you know, where you say, hey, uh, you're an organizational psychologist or you are a business management consultant. How would you define adaptability for a business like this? And you can kind of give it that prompt and it could provide a pretty good boilerplate yeah. definition. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that this is a good little use case of sure. yeah. where you can rely on some external uh, resource to do that. But the reason I mention that is because I could probably ask you, what does dependability look like for this role? And you would give me an answer. And then, you know, I'd pull David aside and say, <laughs> what does dependability look like for this role? And you'd probably give me an answer. I don't think that they would be completely <laughs> overlapping. Yeah, sure. There might be 50, 60% overlap, maybe set. I mean, if you're really, really like dialed into one another and you have that same kind of sure. frame of reference, that's why it's important to define what yeah. that competency is. I love that. And on top of it, if you want to go the full nine yards, 10 yards, you can, you can then say, well, what would an evaluation of a response be to this question? So if you, you know, you could maybe come up with your own version of how you would want to ask whether or not someone is dependable or not, but how do you evaluate the answer? What's a good answer versus a bad answer? Uh, so I just, I say all that to say that we, we, I think we kind of assume, or these, these terms are blurry, right? Mm. We have to get some, some handles and that's what psychologists do. We, we're just labelers. Like that's all we do. <laughs> you know, we just observe, take notes, collect data, and then we come up with labels and we make sure everyone's on yeah. the same page in terms of that label. That can be huge, huge, huge for a process. If you've, if you've all kind of come to a consensus that these are the things that we need to measure and there's a pretty clear definition of those, I think that puts you, uh, you know, above 90% of how most processes like this go. But kind of going back to your question, adaptability versus dependability, it really comes down to uh, if 
one is more important than the other for a particular job, then you're obviously making that decision up front. You're, you're really saying it's not both because maybe sometimes those things can conflict. Sure. Right. They can be like at odds. You might find someone who's hyper dependable because they like that stability. They like to know what's expected of them. They need clear expectations and they're just going to go and do right. Mm -hmm. And you know that you give them something to do and they're going to go yeah. do it. But there could be someone that is higher on that adaptability dimension and they're going to chart their own path. They, they might even, they're going to be juggling five balls. They might drop two, but that's okay. But as long as they're kind of like, you know, keeping things going, yeah. that's, that's helpful. That's what you need. So you need someone that has that kind of creative, you know, they, they, they don't have risk aversion, you know, right. they have, they have risk acceptance yeah. and some of the things might fall along the wayside because of that. You can't, it's hard to find someone that might be both of those both things because right? they're almost two ends of two ends of a spe same yeah, spectrum. Yeah. Exactly. So all that to say, going back to the labels, going back to the, what does this job require? You can start to negotiate and say, what is really important mm -hmm. for this job? And then you can evaluate someone on those criteria. I think about the RevOps leader, strategic <laughs> and tactical, right? <laughs> there is folks out there. Yeah. There, there are some really good folks, yeah. but, and not every pairing of competencies has an inverse relationship. You can yeah. be high, high on some, competencies but right. typically certain competencies can kind of be polar like they can kind of oppose one another right. so it might not it might be that hey we're looking for both of these it's going to be very hard to find someone who's yeah. maxed out both yep. of them it right. might be that they're kind of middle middle they yeah. kind of balance each other that way yeah. yeah that makes sense that makes sense well man this has been amazing i love what you've shared uh let, let me ask you this so the book that you alluded to when is it available? What's the details around that? Because some some of the folks listening may want to check that out. Yeah, yeah. So it's coming out later this year. I want to say early fall. Okay. Some bit of the publishing okay. you know, process yeah. can kind of be a little bit loose sometimes, but it's a little alliterative. It's data-driven decision-making for the entrepreneurial ecosystem. That's a mouthful. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it'll be in the show but notes. It'll but, be in the show notes. Yes. Yeah. And and of course, when it does come out, be sure to let us know and we'll yep. make sure that we let everybody in our network know because yep. it sounds like yeah. it would be hugely val valuable to the yes. folks that are listening. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for being on the show. It was awesome to have yeah. you. Yeah, thanks to have me. Great. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the RevOps Recruiters Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you subscribe. You can do so on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you've got feedback on things you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast, leave a comment on YouTube and we'll check it out there. Finally, if you're looking to make your first or next RevOps hire, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. You can schedule a time to connect with us on our website at www.revsearch.io. Again, thanks for listening.